TV Guide describes this movie as a thoroughly engaging action film that transforms its rather mundane storyline into something memorable, funny, and moving. Variety called it one of the most entertaining, best-executed, original road pictures ever. And Matt Brunson of Creative Loafing raves that it's an extremely satisfying action comedy, one that still hasn't fully received its due. On this, the 40th episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Midnight Run. Which one will it be? Greetings, Starfighters. Hi, Starfighters. It's Ruined Childhoods. What? <laughs> I just want to say hi to the Starfighters out there. Hi, Starfighters. No, well, greetings. I mean, it's the the proper address of a Starfighter. Hey, Starfighters. Hey, Starfighters. How's it going? How you doing? <laughs> well, you have to imagine that in the last Starfighter, they were just like walking around at one point, yeah. like passing each other in the corridors, being like, oh, hey, Starfighter. What's up? You go get him. Yo, you my Starfighter. <laughs> yeah. I uh, but yes. Hi, hello. Dan, how's it going? Uh, oh, it's going great, John. It's going great. How are you doing? Uh I've had a stressful weekend. We're recording this Sunday night. I uh, have been dealing with an issue where my neighbors just below my unit where I live, uh their ceiling was flooding due to a plumbing situation that might have been caused by my kitchen sink or could be our neighbors above us who who's to say but uh yeah just been dealing with that all weekend and uh i am happy to be recording this episode of ruined childhoods with you my friend (laughs) to be Um, my brother (laughs) my brother well we're friends too yes fair to say yes Uh, of course but I will say I've been very much looking forward to doing this episode with you because we're talking about Midnight Run. Yeah, yeah. Um, very exciting. One of my favorites. Uh, but but yeah. first. But first. So um, I guess I'll, I'll report back because if, if you're a faithful listener of Rune Childhoods or even someone who just listens to the ones where we talk about movies that you've heard of um, – because not everyone wants to hear an hour and a half about Transylvania six five thousand, but on the other hand, I don't. I can't relate to those people. <laughs> no, at I, all. I really. I know that those people exist, but I really want to live in a world where everyone is down for that. Anyway, <laughs> um, if you've been following, you know that I uh, am a high school teacher and I direct a play and non musical play at that high school every year. Well, this is the second year, so. Um, but I'm on board for next year. You're two and for two. I'm, I'm, I'm two for two in terms of, of, I would say in terms of success, in terms of just crowd reception, the, the way that, that the, the cast feels about it. Um, my first play there I did was an old, uh, early 1980s play by Neil Simon called Fools. Mm-hmm. And it was a very it's a ten person cast and you know simple, short, funny, um, and very well received. And I thought it was very well well acted. And then this year, as as you know, if you're a faithful listener, I have taken Aaron Sorkin's debut play, A Few Good Men. And oh, was that his debut play? That was I his first that. play. Yeah, no, thirty years ago, almost exactly thirty years ago. So November fifteenth, right. it opened November fifteenth, nineteen eighty nine. November fifteenth, two thousand nineteen, was when my a few good men closed, and um, we did you know kind of a a a, a reboot, if you will, or a uh, you know. A, a remake with several of the moles, several of the moles, several uh, several of the roles originally played by men, uh, now being played by women in moles. some women, right? Yes, women uh, as uh, roles like Colonel Jessup, who was 
Jack Nicholson in the movie, uh, Lieutenant Kendrick, who was Kiefer Sutherland in the movie. Um, uh, Quick time out. Every time I uh, hear Kiefer Sutherland's name, which is quite often, he's been active for a long time. I enjoy his work. Yeah. But I always think of Jiminy Glick saying, Kiefer, Kiefer, <laughs> when he's trying to get his attention outside of some opening or something. Anyway. Oh, my goodness. Wow. We talk about Jiminy Glick a lot well, on this podcast. I was, I was about to comment. I was, I'm pretty sure, yeah, it's been several Jiminy Glick references like consecutively. Well, anyway, go on. You were saying I don't think it's a problem. I mean, no, it's great. No, so um, uh, Lance Corporal uh, Dawson, who in the movie is played by Wolfgang Bodison, it's one of the one of the Marines who is is on trial. Uh, also played by a woman, and uh, I mean, I, I think of, I'm thinking of them. They did such a great job. These are you know. These are kids ranging from 15 to 17 or 18. And I think, I, I don't, I think they're all under 18, um, like, you know, 15 to 17. Um, but they really, on stage, really went as far as they could to become the the adults they were playing. And some of them were playing characters that were probably, you know, 19 or 20. So, mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Well, first of all, congratulations on uh, wrapping up uh, your second production. Uh, Of the, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say 40 episodes of this podcast that we've done. That includes this episode, which is episode 40. uh, Which movie that we've done could you see yourself uh, putting on at that high school for the drama next year? So are we talking about something that would have been a a play previously or not, like are, nope, are ta- like not if necessarily I, if I'm going to try to be that dude in Jersey who adapted Alien? Yeah, sure. It could be any of them. Okay. So keeping in mind that I am not doing a musical but a straight play. Oh, and I, I should look at the ones that we've done, not the ones that we're probably going to do sometime. Ooh. Hmm. Um I'm I'm looking at our at our list and I'm I'm like some of them would make really good musicals. Some of them they've done they did the Adams Family musical a few years ago. Oh, um, okay, that's cool. So what would did I do? Did they do Too Legit Adams Family? You know, the Adams I, Family rap. I didn't see it, but I, you know they do what they want to do, go where they want to go. Do I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I knew. It. Listen to the episode. I did. I had a much better job. Okay, so I'm looking at some possibilities that would be, I think, really fun stage plays to do. And that would be Soap Dish. Although, what a yeah. musical that would make. Yeah. But um, Soap Dish, wh- I could see What About Bob? Ooh, that would be good. Being a really fun play, I could see... You know what might be fun? Weekend at... I wonder how Weekend at Bernie's would be. Ooh, interesting. Oh, my that, God. That'd be so good. <laughs> and then last but not least... Well, no. I guess Rain Man would be kind of... would be kind of tough. No, I like Weekend at Bernie's. I mean, you typically do dramas. So well, I don't know if no, Weekend la- at Bernie's... Well, no, not really. Because well, last fools, year... I, that's right. Last year I it's did It's just a, non-musical, that's all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'll probably get to do a musical in, in in a few years. I got the hint that that's coming, but oh, cool! Yeah, in which case, in which case, I would go with. Well, I guess I can't say cabaret because that was a musical before a movie. But mm-hmm. um, in which case, I would either say Three Amigos or, um, again, Soap Dish. Soap Dish would be a really good one, or or possibly and I, we haven't done it yet, but. Um, a little, a little preview for when we finally do my blue heaven. Right. Well, not to spoil anything for whenever we do that episode, but you've been talking to me about adapting that into a musical for oh years. For years. For years, I have. This is like one of those projects that I, eventually, when I have the time to do it, if 
if nobody has done it yet, I will adapt my Blue Heaven into a musical. But that yeah. is another discussion for another time. Yeah. Uh, oh. Before we get into what we're talking about today, uh, for for real, for real, uh, before we started recording, we both acknowledged that we had recently watched Dolomite Is My Name on Netflix. Yeah. Dan, what'd you think? You know, I really enjoyed it. Um, I had watched... Had, had you Had you seen Dolomite, the actual... Rudy Raymore. I I hadn't, and I was debating watching it before watching this, and I feel like I didn't need to. Um, um, and they it, do show clips at the end, so. And it is that it's, was smart. It was definitely so. Like I decided to put it on. I don't, I forget when, but like several weeks, you know, maybe a couple months ago, when I knew that that Dolomite is my mm-hmm. name was coming to Netflix, and I was like, oh well, Dolomite is streaming. Let me watch. Dolomite, and I'm so glad that I, I I didn't watch I didn't end up watching the whole thing, but I watched enough to where to the point where I was like I have seen enough to to be able to kind of judge Eddie Murphy's performance and judge the the movie. You could tell that he had his heart fully in it, and that was really refreshing to see. Um, for anybody who's unfamiliar, Dolomite is my name is the story of uh, the the guy who was just kind of a struggling musician, comedian, who never was able to really quite make it until he adapted this, uh, he took on this persona that yeah. was uh, inspired by a uh, a local hobo, as they say in the movie. And um, that kind of sparks this whole, like, foul-mouthed, like, pimp persona that he eventually... Uh, self-produced a movie of and uh, <laughs> it's very much like the disaster artist and the way that that is for the room where yes. it's like a movie that when it was being made you could you feel like they were kind of like i think that this is supposed to be serious but it's like it kind of bordered on like spectacle because, I mean, he wanted to do karate and everything, and everyone was just like, "What? how do we make this look like he's actually knowing what he's doing? And I don't know. Um, so I think that in a lot of ways, it's similar. It's not the same. Right. Yeah, no, because at a certain point, he did decide to kind of right. make it more comedic. Right. Similarly to the way that Tommy Wiseau, after the movie came out and people saw it as this funny twisted he went you know, with it. comedy he changed his tune to say oh yeah. yeah it's supposed to be that way yeah he went with it but but even but rudy at least according to the the film um it it, it is implied that that eddie murphy or that rudy ray moore you know at least midway through filming decided like huh you know maybe we should just try to make this funny right i will say though it's at least this is just for me, it's difficult to watch him playing a real person because it's really hard for me to get out of my mind that it's Eddie Murphy. Yes, I I agree with you. And I will say even to compare it to his performance in Dreamgirls, which I would say would be his mm-hmm. one other performance where he was really trying to not be an Eddie Murphy character. Yeah. I felt that in Dream Girls it it was much I I felt it his the character in Dream Girls and his performance was much further from kind of his persona whereas this was kind of like a good mix of this person. They found the right person who was kind of like, "Oh yeah, Eddie Murphy could kind of play this guy and do his thing." And yeah, I mean, like I enjoyed, I enjoyed the movie and I enjoyed his performance, but I enjoyed it because it was Eddie Murphy being funny. Right. Yeah. Which I haven't seen in, in a while. Not, yeah. No, was... I mean, <laughs> I haven't seen in a new movie in a while. I was, right. I've seen it recently. I was say we Beverly just watched Hills Beverly Hills Cop. Cop. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, um, 
moving on to what we're talking about uh, on this episode, I, as I was thinking about it, I was like, this is kind of a perfect movie to do because it blends a couple of things that are very current right now, where we have Robert De Niro in The Irishman, mm-hmm. uh, going back to a young Robert De Niro, as they do digitally. And then we also have the launch of um, Disney Plus and The Mandalorian, the story of a bounty hunter. So yes. you put those two together, you got Midnight Run. Um, <laughs> and just uh, before we really get into it, um, I mean, I think that I first saw this movie just a few years ago. I mean, it's possible that I caught it when I was a kid and never really realized what it was. But for some reason, whenever I would hear Midnight Run, I would just assume it was something else, like a more serious movie. And then once I actually like saw it, knowing following what it was, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. It is far from being a super serious movie. Uh, it's the same director from Beverly Hills Cop, Martin Brest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it definitely has that like same action comedy feel, but it doesn't feel like you're watching, I don't know, the same movie like it has its own vibe to it yeah uh that's really enjoyable it's um you know what i i always find charming about and i i think i saw it probably for the first time in college and Mm -hmm. with my uh my my friends dave kelly who had like the best vhs collection um (laughs) david james kelly screenwriter of 2018's robin hood starring taron edgerton so there you go. Um, yes. Uh, back in the day when we used to just binge watch VHS movies and he introduced me to Midnight Run and lo- I loved it so much. I went out and got my own copy and mm-hmm. for, on VHS and then eventually <laughs> made sure I had a DVD copy just because it's, it's so much like it's fun. And if you like action and comedy, it blends it really well. It doesn't get too serious but it also it 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 isn't just all played for laughs it's not too light it's just a very natural like it's it's an action movie but what with such great comedy that comes from the performances and the chemistry between Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin right um so just a a brief synopsis i'm trying to dial in my synopses a little bit better cuz i in the last episode i was like man i just kind of went a little wild but I'm going to try to well, yeah. dial it in a little bit. You do the uh, synopsis so, because if I did, I'd go off on tangents like crazy. <laughs> that's true. So uh, Robert De Niro plays Jack Walsh, who's a bounty hunter who's hired uh, to find John Mardukas, uh, the Duke, uh, who's an accountant who embezzled $15 million from an organized crime unit led by uh, Jimmy Serrano, played by Dennis Farina. Yes. Uh, and man, oh man, his Thick, thick Chicago accent. Sydney, shut the fuck up and have a cream soda. (laughs) And uh, John Mardukas is played by Charles Grodin, uh, who's uh, his uh, kind of his wry attitude, his kind of like, you don't know where he stands on things. You know, he's he's a really hard read, and that really works well for this character. So um, Jack Walsh is is hired to find him. Uh, Mardukas embezzled $15 million and then gave it all to charity. Well, gave most of it to charity, we'll say. And uh, Eddie, uh, Joe Pantoliano, who uh, co-starred with Susan Sarandon in Cats and Dogs, uh, who was also in Lorenzo's Oil, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, No kidding. So Joey Pants is uh, Jack's boss. Jack is... And Jack's Robert De Niro, who was in Cape Fear with Nick Nolte, who was in Lorenzo's Oil. That's the obvious one. (laughs) Well, yeah, I know. So, so uh, sorry. What did you want me to say? Marvin's room with Margot Martindale. That would have been preferable. Well, I'm sorry. You know what? You yeah. didn't take Cape Fear, and I love Cape Fear. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So Eddie bailed out John Mardukas, um, bailed him out of jail for four hundred and fifty thousand dollars, not realizing who he was, and then he kind of then. The Duke kind of just disappeared, and Eddie was like, I need you to find this guy. Uh, and Jack convinces him to give him $100,000 as the reward 
for uh, the bounty. Meanwhile, FBI agent Alonzo Mosley is trying to find Mardukas so he can bring him to federal court. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jimmy Serrano's people are offering Jack, uh, I think, a million bucks. Is it over a million or a million? I think Remember it's said, a million. Yeah, a million bucks to find the Duke. Um, and uh, we, as we find out, one of the guys who works for like with for Eddie is in with the Serrano people and feeds them information. Meanwhile, John Ashton plays Marvin Dorfler, who's another bounty hunter, who's kind of like the the budget version of uh, of Jack. Yeah, and uh, he's much just rougher kind of around like, the edges. He's sloppier, and uh, John Ashton of Beverly Hills Cop. It, it, it's great to see him in kind of a slobby role compared to his role in the first two Beverly Hills Cop movies, where he's all buttoned up. Um, so yeah, here he's just this like complete mess. He's a bounty hunter and he's always kind of getting in Jack's way. And, uh, Eddie offers him, I think $12,000. Is it 12 or 25? 25. A lot less to find the Duke. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so everybody's trying to find Jack and the Duke, um, Jack finds the Duke, like, really easily using his uh, excellent detective skills. He finds him in New York. And um, from that point, it's just, like, trying to get him back to Los Angeles while shaking off all of these other tales that he's got. And Mm -hmm. um, it's it's really enjoyable. It's a wonderful buddy film, buddy road film. Um, and you know what's interesting, though, mm-hmm. in 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 that regard, is that excuse me. So, it's reminiscent of a lot of other movies that came out around the same time. For instance, um, in November of 1987, planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh huh. Two people traveling together who don't particularly get along, right. but are forced together by circumstance. You mm-hmm. also have in 1988, uh, after Midnight Run comes out, you have two other movies we've discussed on this podcast, Twins and Rain Man, about right. two very un, you know, unlike people well, who are put together well by genetics and circumstance. It's it's also easy to make the a connection with Rain Man also because uh, there's a fear of flight that causes that kind of sparks the whole road trip element to this yeah uh and going back to um beverly hills cop uh there's also the same element of two characters who are playing off of each other like an old married couple yes so uh george gallo who wrote midnight run kind of modeled the demeanor of the main of the two lead characters on his parents which okay, so that that may, and Martin Brest just knew knew what to do with that. Yeah, he's like, got it. Yeah, done. Taggart Rosewood done. Yeah, so I watched a lot of um, late night uh, appearances from Charles Grodin from around this time, um, uh-huh. even going back to even the early eighties, and I never knew this about Charles Grodin, but he had this late night persona. Are you familiar with this? He had his own talk show. He had his own late night show. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when he was like a guest on like Carson or Letterman, where he played kind of this version of himself who feels like the interviewer doesn't respect him. Um, and No? Okay. You have to go back and watch some of his late night performances. He does one where he brings his lawyer with him. Okay. And has his lawyer sitting next to him. It's so good. Um, I highly recommend checking it out. But I I never really appreciated Charles Grodin until the past, like, five years. I, I mean, he's been great in all the things he's been in because he is so good at playing that, like, you know, pent-up aggression, that anger that's just buried deep inside and bursting out, like, uh, in Clifford. Uh he Beethoven. kind of nails that. He's Be- the Beethoven movies. Um, yeah, it's just kind of like his thing. Taking care of business. Yeah. Um, 
Not so much Dave. Not oh, so much Dave. But no. yeah. So I married an ex murderer. Oh, that's right. Yeah. He's, he's the guy who gets his car commandeered. That's right. Yeah, he's he's fantastic in that. Yeah, Charles Grodin, and you know he he kind of like semi retired from acting um, for quite a while. I mean, he came back. He was in a few episodes of Louis, mm. and um, he was in Louis C.K.'s movie that he made. And I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I'd love to see him fully back. Yeah. No, it'd be nice to see Charles Charles Grodin back. Back on screen. Yeah. Acting once again. Why couldn't they get him in The Irishman? I would have loved it. Yeah. I'd love to see the two of them together. Yeah. I mean, and geez, while they were at it, why couldn't they have thrown like Susan Sarandon or Nick Nolte in there just to like make things a little easier for us? (laughs) I mean, De Niro did already work with Susan Sarandon in The Big Wedding, so. Oh, boy. (laughs) You thought I only had Cape Fear. Cape Fear was just the obvious one, man. Although, yeah. speaking of The Mandalorian, we have Nick Nolte in that one. Is Nick Nolte in The Mandalorian? Have you watched it yet? No, I don't have Disney Plus yet. Okay. Well, uh, he plays a... I mean, it's it, it doesn't look as much like... It looks like an alien version of him, but he uh, helps out our main character at least in the first two episodes that's what's aired so far okay i know carl weathers is in it carl weathers is in it that is true exciting yeah nick nolte does an excellent job (laughs) as does he in lorenzo's oil yes but back to um so back back to midnight run uh i will say this much and i would say the if you don't, if you really don't follow any of the talk about like the world of bounty hunting, mm-hmm. it, it could probably be a little difficult, like to follow. How do you figure? Um, because they, if you just, if you don't understand what a bail bondsman does, if you don't understand things, I, I don't think you'd understand the stakes and mm-hmm. understand like why it's so important that he gets Marducus back to LA yeah like that the stakes are really high why all these people are looking for him so I guess what I'm what I'm saying is one of the uh one of the things that I really appreciate about this movie is it is it's for adults it is a movie starring adults granted predominantly adult men there are Mm -hmm. there are no Margot Martindale does not pop up anywhere in it (laughs) um Right. There was a uh, discussion early on to have um, Charles Grodin's character be a woman. They were talking about Cher. I heard Cher, yeah. And then, yeah, and then have there be some sort of, like, you know, romantic undertones. But I'm glad they didn't do that. Because um, they did that not with to say Butler that... and Jennifer Aniston, and it did not do right. well. Sure. Yeah. So. The Bounty Hunter. Yes, the bounty hunter. I never saw and, it, and it's it's interesting. I don't know if I saw it. I might have seen it. It's interesting how often bounty hunting comes up in pop culture. Yeah, uh, I I don't know how common it is. You know, in the real world, you know, you see things like Dog the Bounty Hunter, but that's kind of everybody's version of real life bounty hunting. Yeah. And you see, like, I feel like you see that there's, like, you know, bail bonds offices, especially if, you know, you spend a lot of time in cities or, like, smaller cities, like if, like Newark. I remember in Newark, New yeah. Jersey, seeing a lot of bail bondsmen You know, the first, the first time I ever became really aware of bail bonds was from the movie Major League, because there was an ad for bail bonds at the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you uh, and that brings me that reminds me of the of Bad News Bears where they're mm-hmm. they're they're sponsored the Bears are Oh, they're are, sponsored. Yeah, Chico's Bail Bonds. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like an easy thing to joke about. And uh Midnight Run doesn't really take that angle at all. 
It's no. like this is a serious business, and you know, it's it's a business that is important. It it's good that it exists, so that you know that we can have movies like Midnight Run. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> thank, thank goodness that this is not one of those businesses. I wonder how technology has changed the bounty hunting business. I mean, just tracking and. If I we mean, were a better podcast, we would be interviewing a bounty hunter on this episode. Yeah, I mean... If you are a bounty hunter and want to give us any information about your profession, yeah. write to us at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com, and uh, we'll try to do a phone interview or something. Maybe if you know bounty hunters, because clearly this is going to come up again. How, this is going to come up again in our next episode, John. <laughs> oh my God, you're right. <laughs> Okay, that's that's my homework for the next week. Yeah, we're uh, finding a we're finding a bounty hunter to talk to. I'll you know I'll I'll ask my kids what their parents do. <laughs> right, who is your daddy and what does he what do? Does he do? <laughs> yeah, well, hey, you know what? It's 2019. It, mommy could be a bounty hunter too. You know, this is true. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, there, there's such great like I what I I love that the humor in the movie comes out of the situations. And it's everything from uh, when when Walsh gets the Duke in New York and the dog is barking at him and he's standing inside the shower right, in the shower and he's holding the Alonzo Mosley FBI thing, that, which is that's just such a great running gag that and all the, like the cigarettes, how he, they keep taking mm. Marvin's cigarettes. It's fantastic. Um, there's so many great running gags in it, but it's not it, the movie's not Midnight built around the gags. gags. The gags, like the jokes, the humor comes out of the circumstances. Uh, they come out of the relationships, the whole, um, you know, there's that, there's that one great line that I, and I love it. I don't know if it was scripted because I know that there was a, uh, a lot that was improvised in this movie, but uh, like when they get picked up, they're hitchhiking, they get picked up um, in that pickup truck and right. and Groden goes yeah hey yeah hey and and Daenerys like you know what is you know what is that and Groden's like you know it's hello I know how to say hello in many languages not yours <laughs> it's just such a great and when he's on the train and he does the back and forth and he pretends to be De Niro right. shut up yeah it's like hey yeah, Jack when are we gonna sequence... the book up the train sequence is definitely because they're in the car of a freight train, and that's when the you really feel them connecting. Even though they're at their most like at each other's throats, uh, the tension is broken when uh, when the Duke asks him if he'd ever have sex with an animal, mm -hmm. and then they just start cracking each other up and it's just like these guys are buds and that, that's funny because it's also yeah that's right that's improvised but yeah. it's also coming off of when they do the scam at that uh bar oh, about yeah. the counterfeit 20s where <laughs> also they, improvised where, that's right that was i did read that that was also improvised they so improvised a lot of it yeah and it's like they they're getting along and then they're it's almost like they have a moment where they're just like wait why are we get along getting along so well i have to try to get away from this guy and then they come back to each other and yeah i don't know it's they're they're a truly magnificent pair charles groden and robert de niro yeah i really really enjoyed it it does make me it does i guess make me regretful that there was no sequel to it <laughs> Which I guess. there was no sequel, but there well, I guess there were. was the made-for-TV movies. Are, have you seen these? Which I guess were sequels. I haven't seen them. I know they exist with Christopher McDonald as Walsh. Christopher, yeah. So uh, there's another Midnight Run, Midnight right. Runaround, and Midnight Run for Your Life. So they're kind of doing a a Die Hard kind of thing, or like <laughs> Die Hard with a Vengeance, Live Free or Die a Hard. A good Midnight, midnight to Run. run. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a good Midnight for a Run. Um, so I, I mean, have you seen any of these? No, no. Do you have any interest? No. It's amazing I, that they made three of them. I like barely even knew that they existed. I really don't want to see Midnight Run. I, I, all right. So starring Shooter McGavin. I do not want to see Midnight Run starring Shooter. All due respect to Christopher McDonald, 
who I enjoy so much in movies like Happy Gilmore and Quiz Show. Mm-hmm. But I, so Midnight Run, first of all, if it's going to be connected to the original movie, I would want to, it to be De Niro and Grodin. Right. I, I don't, and I and I don't think I would want one without the other. I don't think I would want to see like another Jack Walsh adventure, which right. is what I think these are. Is just like. But what's what's weird about that is that at the end of Midnight Run, this is spoilers in case you haven't seen it. But at the end of Midnight Run, he essentially gets the money that he would need to start his coffee shop that he wants to open up because he was looking to get out of the bounty honey business. Yeah, that was the whole reason he took this job because it yeah. would be enough money to get him out of the business. And then he ends up with more money than he would have gotten had he just right. done the job. It's a lovely ending. It really... But it, it, it doesn't it really lend itself is. to a sequel where he's still a bounty hunter. No. No. I don't know, John. So what... I mean, what What do you think? Like, we're... What would you do with this? Where would you go? Gee, Dan, thanks for asking. Uh, I would have a sequel, and it would be 30 years later. Or when did this one come out? It would be thir- well, it would be, it would have been 31 this past summer. It came out in 1980. 30 some odd years later. Um, my idea is that, um, let's see, I have 30 years later, the Duke is a person of interest in an embezzlement case. And is then on the run. Like, so it's, he's not the person doing the embezzling, but he's uh, being sought after in connection with an embezzlement. So he finds Jack at the coffee shop that he runs and asks him for help getting across the country so he can clear his name without getting, uh, you know, caught by either the cops or the people who are trying to frame him or whatever's going on. And um, yeah, and maybe Jack has remarried and his wife, his new wife comes along on the, on the journey. I don't know. Just to like mix things up a little bit. Do we run into his ex-wife or Denise along the way? No, I mean, well, Hey, maybe Denise comes with them. His daughter, uh, no need for the ex-wife. She kind of, maybe Denise is in law enforcement and Denise ends up on their tail. Well, Denise remarried one of the crooked cops in Chicago. Well, that's not Denise. That's, that's, De- not Denise's not Denise. Mom. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. I'm sorry. Jack, not Jack's ex-wife. Jack's ex-wife. Did we get her name? I forget her name. But Carol? she Karen? remarried. She Sure. She remarried a crooked cop in Chicago who used to work with Jack. And maybe he has something to do with this. And maybe he's just like trying to get, you know, under Jack's skin or something. Mm-hmm. And he, he knows that the Duke will find his way to Jack. I don't know. Um, I was thinking about a remake and not that this makes so much of a difference, but I didn't see it as really necessary. We have a lot of other bounty hunter movies around, so it didn't seem like we necessarily needed, uh, an updated version. I feel like the movie just really holds up, um, it just didn't seem necessary. And I was thinking prequel, but it's like, we're given a lot of information about, you know, especially Jack's past and going deeper into that doesn't feel necessary to me. Like if there was a prequel about his time, you know, we want to know why he was so unpopular with the Chicago police department. Right. Well, I think that, uh, the fact that he didn't want to get bought off yeah. by the Serrano crime yeah. syndicate um, while everyone else was seemingly okay with it. Um, I don't know if we need to see that. No. I, yeah, yeah I, I agree with that. I agree that it, it really holds up very well. Um, and I wonder, you know, okay, so what do you, what do you gain from doing a remake? Do you set it today and kind of update all of the bounty hunter you know techniques with the technology do you Mm -hmm. you know do you just set it in the 1980s who do you cast like what what do you get out of doing it again and also you know like what do you do like the script is so funny and are you gonna Mm -hmm. rewrite 
Like, you're going to rewrite that script and make it better? I don't think so. So, I mean, there's definitely people that I would love to see, like, if they kept the script. There's definitely, like, actors that I would love to that, like to see in these roles. Like, it, it made me think of uh, a movie that I wasn't so crazy about, uh, The Heat, starring Melissa McCarthy right. and Sandra Bullock. But I thought to myself, I'm like, man, the two of them as Walsh and Mardukas, respectively, um, yeah. would have would be hilarious. Like Melissa McCarthy at like in that role as in, in De Niro's role and Sandra Bullock in Groden's role, like that would have been a lot better than whatever they gave us with uh, the Heat. Uh, I I feel like Miles Teller would be a fun Mardukas. Miles Teller, okay. I think Miles Teller would be a fun Mardukas. I think um, uh, I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't know, maybe J-Lo would be a good, like, Walsh. Although I feel like she might have done something like that already. Like, that might have been one of her then on J-Lo. Yeah, I don't know. Movies. Like a Brad Pitt as Walsh. Midnight Run. Mm-hmm. That could be, I mean, but all the same, it's like, what? what's the purpose? Like, what's the point? Mark Wahlberg was another one who I was like, but it's almost like if they were to but make the, it now instead of then. Yeah, I mean, it? I mean, you think about people who have a similar chemistry. So like Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell, they've worked together on a few things and you know that they have that, they can do that type of dynamic. You know, you have people like, uh, Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum. Mm. You know, you know that they can have that like funny, but at each other's throats chemistry. Um, there, there's too many to name right now, but like, there's totally people who can do it, yeah. and that's not really the question. It's like write something else for them that fits that you know situation. Right. Yeah, I just because if it's Midnight Run, it's like I want to see. Midnight Run. Yeah. And it's not like Midnight Run was some big, you know, it, Midnight Run is more of, it's, I feel like it's gained a, it was, it was well received by critics. I don't think it was. A, it has a, a big, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, I think. Oh, yeah. yeah no, I mean, it, it's, it's got a really high Rotten Tomatoes rating. Yeah. Um, I wanted to check the, the box office for it. Oh, I saw on. Was it Wikipedia? Box office. Uh, it was really da 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 da. da. It grossed five point five million in the opening weekend. Went on to make thirty eight point four million in North America, forty three point two million in the rest of the world for a total of eighty one point six million. But it opened um, like at number five. I'm in the summer of in July nineteen eighty eight. It. Uh, it, it yeah, box office in, mojo is now under a paywall, so it's hard to uh, oh no see all that information. So I'm looking at it. Yeah, I, I'm looking at it here. So it ranked number five in its opening weekend behind the Deadpool, which was the last Dirty Harry movie, oh, Die yeah. Hard, uh huh, and Coming to America and Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which it was funny. Die Hard actually went. Uh, from number 16 to number three within wow. uh, within a week. Huh. Well, they added a ton of theaters. I think it opened limited. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so even its, its opening weekend, and it looks like it opened against Big Top... Oh, God. It opened against Big Top Pee-wee, oh, Caddyshack wow. 2, Mr. North, uh, Pascali's Island... So these are the movies it opened up against and it it did the best of all of them. Yeah. And what's interesting is uh, just talk, talking about Robert De Niro a little bit. uh, He, you know, clearly has done so many dramas in his early career and he wanted to do something lighter, like more of a comedy. And he really was interested in the starring role in big and um, even though Penny Marshall really liked him for the role, the studio didn't. And so then that's when uh, Midnight Run came across him. And uh, it's, I mean, can you imagine Big with Robert De Niro? 
I mean, it would I, feel very different. I there's something about there's there's something that one about about that that just really intrigues me. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I remembered hearing that. I, I, I mean, obviously things worked out the way that they should have. Just like I can't imagine Tom Hanks as Jack Walsh in Midnight Run. Not that there would have been a quid pro quo, right? Between Big yeah, and Midnight I'd, Run. It would certainly, they would certainly be very different movies, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. So, I, I don't know. I, I, you said what you shouldn't do. I'd like to know more about your thoughts of like what should happen. What should happen with Midnight Run? Yeah. Um, a, a, a theatrical re-release re-release <laughs> yeah i mean just like okay, like i want to go see it in a movie theater <laughs> so i wonder if they ever do show that one you know in the revival theaters i have is never... it that is it that much of a is it enough of a cult film it's certainly not a classic but is it enough of a cult that people would be interested in seeing it I don't I don't know if the people aside that, from you and the guy who wrote Rob uh, Robin Hood oh Dave yeah no um yeah I I true I don't think it would be yeah I yeah I don't know what what money there is in the theatrical re-release they I think I want to say that they put it out on on blu-ray but it's like a special limited edition thing mm-hmm. um yeah I don't I mean, just leave it alone. Leave it alone. <laughs> or, or like, how about some prequel? Maybe like some prequel story. Some like some pulp crime novels about like Jack Walsh's cop days. Like, how about some graphic novels or something that like? So you want f- Jack Walsh Year One? So some fan fiction, yeah. Some Jack Walsh Year One, like you know Walsh Walsh v Serrano. Or, or what about like the whole like Walsh? Because wasn't the whole thing like Walsh was undercover in Serrano's Walsh- network? He was undercover, and then Serrano's people, I guess, found out and planted heroin in his car or something. Yeah, yeah, is uh, something like but that. But that's the thing is, like, he was also he was. I think it was like for almost a year that he mm-hmm. was deep. Un- he was deep undercover in the Jimmy Serrano, you know, crime network, crime family. Yeah. So. I mean, I could I could see like a maybe not like a prequel movie about that, but I don't know some, some like nice pulp crime novels or something. <laughs> That's kind of cool. I don't yeah. know. Uh, I don't know, like the Jack the, Walsh mysteries. There was there was a moment in Midnight Run where Robert De Niro does this. He, he just has a great moment. It's when they're in the airplane going to Vegas so that they can. Um, bust serrano so he's mm-hmm. with uh alonzo mosley and the fbi and he's getting a um, a wire put on him and he just <laughs> kind of like has a smile on his face and face and he's just like ah, reminds me of being a cop and it's just like a really nice moment where he's just like this is how i feel the most comfortable right now that's you know? such a great scene i love how he's laying out the whole plan and alonzo is just like like I underestimated this guy. Yeah, he's like, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. And Yafet, we I, we haven't talked about Yafet Kato and his performance in this. Yafet Kato, who allegedly had a miserable time making this movie, he was, he was sick the sick whole time, the entire time, and just really did not trust um, Martin Brest's um, vision. And. Uh, I don't know. Turned and he, I think, said like, and I was surprised when I saw it, and it actually turned out great. Um, but yeah, as Alonzo Mosley, he's awesome. He's got these like his signature his signature sunglasses that he you know he, he puts on at just the right moment. Um, yeah. he's great. Yeah, it's a great movie. Joe Pantoliano is is magnificent. Gotta love Joey Pants. He's just like the kind of slimy bail bondsman. I mean, he's not a bad guy. No, he's just, he, he does what he does, does what he has to do. He's a bail yeah, bondsman, I mean. You know. 
Yeah, I mean, I could totally understand his perspective, like when he gets uh, Marvin on board to uh, take over yeah. the the bounty, um, because it's just like he has a lot of money on the line and he hasn't heard from Jack, and he you know doesn't want to miss out on his invest his investment. So yeah, sends uh, Marvin after him. I get it. I get it. I get it. He's hey. just doing business. No one's judging. No one's judging Eddie Muscone. <laughs> so uh, let's talk about what we're going to be doing next on the next episode. Okay. So on the next episode and uh, <laughs> speaking for myself, I did not, I w- had not been thinking about this uh, when we said, Oh, but you know what? But so, sorry. Before we move on, we should note mm-hmm. uh, the other directing credits of, of Martin Brest because Martin Brest after so he did Beverly Hills Cop he had done Going in Style with like Art Carney in 1979 and then Beverly Hills Cop and then he takes these four year breaks because he did Beverly Hills Cop and then Midnight Run Mm -hmm. in 1988 and then 92 Scent of a Woman that's right big you know big hit movie lots of Oscar nominations and then he waits another six years before releasing Meet Joe Black. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. And Meet Joe Black is not the huge success that everyone expects it to be, being a three-hour romantic melodrama uh, that's best known. Supernatural. For- yeah. Ish. Yeah. It's best known for its shot of the Brad Pitt character bouncing off cars numerous cars yes and then we we a, did that movie is in our uh, june squib recast yes that's right it is <laughs> so um and then after meet joe black he takes five years off and then attempts to redeem his career with Geely. that's right and then he has never seen or heard from again jennifer lopez and ben affleck the yes that that Geely. you heard Geely. us right and yeah, so anyway, so and you know what, John, our director of next week's film is another you know interesting director with a um, with a checkered a checkered record. <laughs> um, oh <my> God, <laughs> because you know, hey, he directed the Long Kiss Goodnight, but he also directed Cutthroat Island. That's right, and so that's Rennie Harlan who um, will be talking about one of perhaps one of his best regarded films, another movie that has certainly gained a cult following since its release, The Long Kiss Goodnight. One of my favorite Christmas movies. Yeah, it's his the season. I mean, it's a Shane Black vehicle, so. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, Shane, Christmas. Black, Shane Black. I'm pretty sure it's um, Rennie Harlan. I don't know why I'm do- Well, written by Shane Black. Yes. So yeah, starring oh, no. Gina Davis yeah. and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, yeah, this is one, and uh, I'll save this for sure for the next episode, where I remember the circumstances under which I saw this movie. Interesting. I don't know that I. I don't know that I do. So, well, well you have a week to figure it out. Okay, sounds good, John. Well, <laughs> uh, on that note, I bid you a good journey. Good journey to you. <laughs> <laughs>